When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. All right, I can tell you that uh, the Oilers off today, but they did move Dylan Wells and Devin Shore onto the taxi squad, so that means Miko Koskinen should be good to go to be on the roster for Monday against the Jets. That one's a 7 o'clock start time. Face-off show on 6.30 Chad will be at 5.30. Bruins lead the Rangers 1-0 early in the third and just getting underway, the Coyotes and the Blues. Those are the only two games in the NHL tonight. Well, we have a history maker on the show tonight, and he is an Edmontonian, which is pretty cool. Please welcome to Inside Sports, Matt Callio. Matt, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Very good. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for checking in on the show. I know it's been busy for you lately. You have become the first Canadian to referee a game in the NBA. How many games are you up to now? Uh, you, you know what? I was trying to do it here because I'm just trying to take one game at a time, but I think it's up to six games now and then uh, continuing to have a schedule here ahead of me. How, fa- how far ahead are you scheduled? Uh, we're scheduled till the end of the month and then just based on confidentiality, I can't release those assignments, but uh, I'm glad to continue my progress and the work here in the NBA. Yeah, awesome stuff. Well, well, good for you, and we want to tell your story tonight, and, and I know you can't tell us which, <laughs> which games you're working, but I'm glad there are more, uh, more coming up. And, I, I, and thanks to you uh, and the NBA, because it's rare to um, obviously interview uh, an active official in season, but I appreciate that, that you and the NBA realize the, the significance of your story and, and, and have put you out there for, for a few interviews. So I, I mean, let, let, let's go back. Uh, tell everybody about your Edmonton roots and as you know we're a big small town everybody wants to know your neighborhood and your junior and your senior high so tell us about a young Matt Gallio first yeah for sure so I, I grew up in a Roslyn community and uh, ended up going to Roslyn junior high uh, played uh, senior basketball grade seven eight and nine um, as an athlete there and then uh, eventually moved on to Emmy Lizard high school and did my three years of high school out there uh, playing under Tom Elniski um, and ha- having the honor to um, play for him and grow under him as a mentor and eventually moved on to McEwen University to play uh, two years there um, at the college level. And after that, I really started to pursue the refereeing at the local level. And um, now, now here we are. It's, uh, I'm thankful for it. But uh, at the time when I started refereeing, I didn't think this would be what I'd be talking about on a Friday night with you. <laughs> that's uh that's awesome I, I can you tell me a little bit more about tom elniski you know i know andrew parker there has uh, has the tournament uh in his honor and he's been on to talk about mr elniski in the past who obviously left us far far too soon what impact did he did he have on you why was he so important to you yeah he, he was just a huge mentor and a role model and not just to me and that that's the most important thing to get out there is that there's several 
um, former students, athletes at Emmy Lazert that would all attest to it. And there's a reason why his name's on um, that gym and the memorial tournament that Andrew Parker is a good friend of mine as well and the upbringing. And, you know, Andrew and I used to go to the YMCA in Castle Downs and, uh, you know, between one-on-one, three-on-three skills, drills. Um, so when I was an athlete, you know, that's what we were working on together. And that's because of the connection to Emmy Lazert and what Tom brought forward. But, uh, you know, Tom was really just uh, more than a teacher, like just a leader in the community. Um, and, you know, his claim to fame was turning boys into men. Um, and, you know, the amount of players that he graduated to play on at the college and university level and pursue, you know, an undergraduate degree and now are successful in their own careers is uh, pretty phenomenal. So being a part of that with him and at Emmy Lazert and with my teammates and, you know, all the teachers really there. But Tom, Tom was something that was very special to all of us. Yeah, well said. Definitely a, a giant in the in Edmonton for sure. Uh, maybe a bit of a random question, but I want to clarify something here. What what years did you play for McEwen? Yeah, so McEwen, uh, I was there 2004 to 2006. So my, Matt, my, my this is unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> I would have watched you play. I would have watched you play because you guys played Lakeland in the in the ACAC Final Four that one year. I was in Lloyd Minster when they and, had and Mike was, Page and Phil Allen was coaching. <laughs> absolutely. And Phil, Phil Allen was, uh, and, you know, um, rest in peace, but uh, he's all, he was my childhood coach uh, at the elite level growing up. Um, and then having that opportunity that year and, uh, you know, just a little pound on the chest here, beating uh, Lakeland in the final. Uh, to go to the national championship that year, but it was it was a very competitive year in the ACAC and an honor and um, you know it is pretty cool to you know play at that time against Phil, but knowing what he contributed to get me to that point to play at the college level and you know um, what he gave back to the basketball community as well. Yeah, he was he was awesome to deal with from from a media standpoint, and they they got good really fast. Basically, they were an expansion team, and so you because because Val, Valpreda came and Robbie Valpreda came and played his fifth season at McEwen, yeah. I think. So you were you were on that. Like, yeah, God, I, I those were great games when you guys played Lakeland. Anyway, that's all I had you on the show, but I just was like, wait a minute, I want to see this guy play for those teams. Uh, yeah, Matt well, Callio on the I show do, tonight. I do have to clarify, though. I do have to clarify, at that time I was a rookie, so, you know, being behind Bel Prada and Alex Steele and that team that we had, there wasn't a lot of minutes for this rookie, but I, I wasn't part of that team. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, then I would have seen your name on the roster, but still, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> all right, so I, I'm going to ask you the, 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 the big question because it can be such a thankless job and one of the jobs where you only get recognized if someone thinks you made a mistake why officiating what got you on the path and kept you in it um to to be you know very forward about it i I just love the game and i love basketball um and i always have and you know when i finished playing there's two kind of avenues to go is coaching and refereeing. And I started to do both when I stopped uh, an assistant at Concordia uh, college uh, with uh, Paul Sears, the head coach at the time and was getting into the refereeing again. You know, I'd done some community league and junior high stuff very early um, when I was in junior high school. And, 
the, the refereeing at the time being a university student um there's a lot more flexibility you could close out your schedule you could work whenever you could so you could really tailor you know when you were available to referee so that, that was part of it um just from a convenience factor but b- being a referee being able to contribute to the game um as a player i was a competitor and I still am a competitor, but just having a fair shake and you know equity on the on the court, I think it's so important, and it's it's what anybody asks for in any sport. So being able to do that and to be give back to give back to the game, it's just something I really took a liking to. And um, you know, absolutely, we make mistakes, and there can be controversy around it. Um, but there, there's a lot of noise that you can separate between, you know, w- what is just noise and what, what is legitimate. So um, it's something I've taken a liking to, and I'm thankful for these opportunities. Did, have you always had that sort of personality where, you know, you can make a call and feel confident about it and, and can take the crap, or did you sort of have to have to develop that and hone that through your officiating career? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of natural ability there, but uh, and going from where I started to where I am now, um, and it'll continue, you go through ebbs and flows. So uh, sometimes your confidence is really high and, you know, it's easy to shake off. And then there's other times that you know that you're trying to get better or maybe not ready, you know, as ready as you thought you were for that moment. So you're going to have ebbs and flows and it's no different than, you know, players and coaches. There's certain times where you're just like, Oh, maybe, maybe I wasn't ready for this exact situation or moment at that time, but it's just moving to the next play. You know, it's 40 minutes of basketball here with the international FIBA rules and 48 minutes at the NBA level. So you just got to get to the next play if you do feel any of that. But I do think there's a natural confidence in some that I do well is that uh, you know just kind of live in the moment and get through it and then work off the floor to correct the mistakes uh, you know when, once you're on the floor and that ball goes up you have to perform okay Matt can you just hang on the line because I got to get in a break but I, I want to just kind of uh, talk about you know getting to the NBA and stuff like that can we just can we just have you on hold for a couple minutes for sure Matt Calio checking in. Edmonton native. He's telling you about his path to become the first Canadian to ref in the NBA. More with him when we get back. Joined by Matt Calio, first Canadian ever to ref in the NBA and of course from right here in Edmonton. Matt, thanks for being so generous with your time tonight. You're getting a lot of attention now, but obviously you, you've been a high caliber referee for a long time. Tell everybody what are some other uh, big events or leagues or competitions you've worked in? Yeah, so uh, you know, with, with the international basketball, I've been able to represent Canada um, you know, as an individual referee at the FIBA Americas, uh, both the men's and the women's championship, uh, which is a big, uh, you know, America's event with North and South America um, to qualify for the Olympics. Uh, and then I had, uh, you know, the honor and the privilege of working in the World Cup, uh, the last World Cup there in China. Um, and working all the way into the playoffs at my first World Cup. And, uh, you know, that's been a huge, you know, a highlight of my journey as a referee. 
And then ultimately here, just kind of waiting on what's going to happen with these Olympics. Uh, I did receive an invite, but um, it becomes now, you know, whether the Olympics will run, um, whether I can represent, you know, myself, my family, the country um, from an officiating standpoint. But, you know, that's definitely on the bucket list and something that I look forward to uh, if given the opportunity. Tell everybody how you, you, when you like how, how does the NBA tell you you're you're close or that they're looking at you? <laughs> yeah, so it, it's been a journey, and I've been you know this would be my sixth season um, in the NBA program. I'm working the farm team system, the NBA Gatorade League, uh, two years in the WNBA. Um, as well so those opportunities you know over time you just get different opportunities so you move up where you are in the crew Uh, there's three positions so eventually you want to get to a crew chief so I'm a full-time crew chief in the NBA G League Um, last season I was invited in the room for the NBA meetings um, so I wasn't on the floor but I was getting the education in the room um, and sitting on their education calls that happen monthly um, and then now having this opportunity to do preseason, that was the first step. Um, and preseason game going well enough that now I've had some regular season opportunities and continuing to have games scheduled. So pretty much if you're working, you know, it's a uh, spot that you want to be in. Um, but at, at the end of the day, there's, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces with this and it's just trying to maximize the opportunity. So ultimately the goal is to try to get a full-time contract and move from a non-staff NBA referee to being a staff referee. Awesome. Okay. You know, the, the first couple games you got out there, um, you know, best league in the world. The players are huge. They're probably faster than those of us who just see the game on TV could even realize. What what struck you uh, the first few plays you got to take part in? You know, uh, um, I think just the preparation, I was ready for the moment, and I, I was just so proud to have that opportunity, and I, I knew, um, you know, just even that day that the uh, assignments were released and, you know, people back home reaching out and congratulating me. So, you know, my, my, my mindset was to attack the game and just be ready for it and you know particularly with the international experience you see a lot of nba players representing their countries at those tournaments and the level of basketball there is very high so um seeing players that big strong and quick is not something that was unfamiliar to me um but yeah definitely it's gonna it's a learning curve um with that said by by no means are you ever ready for your opportunity it's just a matter of maximizing it and growing within it uh but you know expecting that you're just going to step on and be a veteran you know that that's unrealistic however um each game's slowing down for me and getting more comfortable and um that, that's kind of how i approach it okay now the nba is all in the states this year because toronto's playing in tampa do you have to stay in the states or are you back home in edmonton or what's that like for you so I, I did relocate to Calgary uh, two years ago with my fiance. Uh, she took a job here in Calgary. So we, we are living in Calgary, and I have been traveling to and from. Um, it's been very fluid this year. Um, the COVID protocols with the NBA are very strict between our contact tracing. I've been doing daily COVID tests, um, you know, probably for the past 75 days or so before the season even started. Um, so whether I'm on the road or back in Calgary, I'm doing daily COVID testing. And then obviously following our public health guidelines. So uh, I was fortunate with uh, the Calgary airport having the border pilot quick testing program which uh, made things possible and easier for me to fly back and forth. Um, and then, you know, as other 
you know, other people that do work down in the States and, you know, employees with their work visa, uh, you know, it's a critical time right now where we're watching the news constantly, seeing, you know, exactly what the details of exemptions are going to be. Um, you know, February 22nd here, it was just announced that the hotel quarantine is coming into place um, until you receive that first negative result. So, you know, it's a fluid situation, but it's something I've spoke with my fiance and my family, and um, it's a huge opportunity that, I've worked really hard for and we've worked hard for as a family um, with the sacrifices that they've given for me to be on the road. So if, you know, if things really do start to come to a lockdown or not make it possible to travel back and forth, um, I will relocate temporarily just to make this work uh, for this season. Matt, I'll ask you one more. And look, it, and I, I, we, we talk uh, about officiating from time to time on, on the show. And like I referenced, it's, it can be a thankless job. And I know from talking to people in minor hockey, minor basketball, you do lose the young officials along the way, either because, you know, they, they go into something else in their life or uh, they, they can't, you know, maybe they've been, you know, the targets of the abuse and harassment from, from players and coaches and they say, I don't want to deal with it. What would you say to a youngster, whether it's basketball or another sport, who is maybe in officiating or considering officiating, what would you uh, say to encourage them to stick with it? Yeah, it's a very good question because it is a reality of what does happen at our local levels. And um, my advice directly to the official would be putting things in perspective. Um, You know, and I I would probably just share some of my experiences um, from starting out, but also being a veteran. And, uh, you know, I kind of laugh a little bit, but, you know, with me being an Edmontonian and, you know, pursuing this for the last six years, I was no stranger to going to Jasper Place and working some spring league games with some younger officials. Um, but I was the new face in the gym because a lot of these parents had not seen me before. Um, and they were giving it to me just as much as anybody else would get it um, without even knowing my background. So, you know, th- th- I think that's humbling from a certain standpoint, but also puts it in perspective of the refereeing is that, you know, there's a familiarity factor, but also it shows that there is a real issue with how parents treat officials and, you know, to a certain extent needs to be addressed at all levels. So I would just say stick with it, have a good mentor in the area to bounce some ideas off of. Um, it is thankless, it can be painful, but, um, you know, it is very rewarding with the opportunities and the people you meet would be my number one thing that I'm thankful for. Um, and it's allowed me to travel the world and pursue something I love. Well said. Matt, thanks again so much for doing this. Uh, like I said off the top, it's uh, it's obviously pretty rare for current officials in any league to be available for interviews. So um, maybe we won't talk again on air for a while <laughs> as, as you continue to work more, more games. Hopefully I did a good enough job. <laughs> you did do a great job. I, I'd love to have you on as often as possible, but I know the NBA, I think, made a bit of an exception here to get you on. But we do appreciate it. Thank you for telling your story. You're definitely an inspiration and a great Edmontonian and all the best throughout the rest of the season, man. Yeah, thank you so much, and uh, stay safe. That is Matt Calio checking in tonight, so telling you about his path to the NBA and some of the games he's worked this year. Again, from Edmonton, he told you about his neighborhoods and his schools, and he's the first Canadian to ref NBA games. We wish him hundreds more along the way. All right, we got to take a quick timeout. We'll update your NHL games, and Jeff Merrick's going to check in. Oh, and before we go tonight, name the animal.
There's the very popular Nuge. Next game for the Oilers is Monday at 7, home to Winnipeg. Our coverage will begin with the face-off show at 5.30 in the afternoon. Hope to have you on board for that one. Bruins leading the Rangers 1-0 late in the third, just two minutes to go. Richie, the only goal in that game. Blues up 1-0 on the Coyotes with four and a half left in the first. Falk has his fourth of the season for St. Louis. Pleased to welcome back to Inside Sports host from the NHL on Sportsnet and the 31 Thoughts podcast. It is the one and only Jeff Merrick. Jeff, how are you doing? Uh, Reed, it's always a pleasure. I'm doing well. Uh, how is things in one of my favorite Canadian cities? How chilly are you right now? Even my polar bear is cold. He thinks it's too cold out. I can't ride him. I can't ride him to the grocery store. He wants colder to stay in the than a polar bear's toenail. Is that the saying? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. Now, some parts of the world would would not know that we're joking that I use a polar bear for transportation, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Doing all right, buddy. It's it's good to catch up with you. Always love chatting. Hey, man, you're you're losing a, a colleague. You're losing a big personality. Brian Burke's moving on. Who's going to be grumpy on the set now? Who's going to be a grouch? <laughs> Who's going to be Oscar now, now that we've lost Berkey? I'll tell you what. I've uh, I've told this, this story in a couple of places. Um, when Brian Burke started, like, I'm, I'm going to miss this guy. First of all, I'm going to miss Brian. I'm really happy for him. Like, he sounds really happy, really energized. I always thought that, you know, at the end of the night, Brian didn't like leaving the studio without caring who won the game because he didn't have any skin in it. Like, I think he's a guy that that craves being part of a team and, you know, having some emotional investment in, yes, we won or, ah, we lost. Like, he needs to live in those extremes of either being jubilant about a win or pissed off about a loss. And now he's there again with the Penguins. So I'm, I'm happy for him. So he, he sounds happy. He sounds enthused. Uh, he kept saying that he loves broadcasting, and I believe that. He was really good at it. Um, so I'm, I'm happy he's going. I'll tell you a Brian Burke story, Reed. So... Before he started with Sportsnet, Brian and I didn't speak for, it had to be like, uh, let's just say either, yeah, it's probably a few years. It was like three years, maybe three and a half years. We had a falling out over an issue <laughs> uh, involving one of his players and he disagreed with, uh, with, with, uh, with it and it sort of led to a... Uh, a parting of the ways, a parting of the pleasantries, let's just say that. So I hadn't talked to Brian in a long time. And I remember the first day that he started and I was going to work with him on the Wednesday show, I remember going in, my wife saying to me, like, what's it going to be like? You know, going, you haven't seen or talked to Brian in however many years. And I said, listen, I'll be, I'll be fine. I harbor no resentment towards Brian. I know he's not the biggest fan of me and that's totally fine. That's the nature of the industry that we work in, Reed. You understand that better than anybody else here. Um, and I remember walking into the green room and it was just Brian by himself. Brian always, by the way, gets to work before everybody. That's the one thing everyone in Pittsburgh is going to learn when we get back to all going to the same shop every day. He gets to work first before anybody. So true to form, Brian Burke is there before me. And I walk into the green room and I say, hi, Brian. And I'll never forget this, Reed. He stands up, walks over to me, looks me in the eye, shakes my hand, and this is what he says. We're on the same team now. And that was it. The last three or four or however many years it was of, you know, not being my biggest fan <laughs> was all gone. And he just said, we're on the same team now. And he had these like little notebooks personalized for all of the people he was working with at Sportsnet. He 
handed me a notebook and said, here, I want you to have this. We're on the same team. Like a really generous, thoughtful, caring, really good teammates who I loved working with. I'm happy for him that he's gone. But man, even Wednesday doing the show, it wasn't the same. I, I really miss the guy. I, I really miss having Brian around. Well, that's that's an awesome story. And Kelly Rudy told the story a couple days ago on the show how Brian doesn't want you to know those stories, though. He wants... <laughs> He, he's fine being the gruff villain all the time, but there's a little bit you know, of a camera hang on. soul. That, that gruff villain is one of the most charitable people I've ever met in my life. Like no matter how you feel about Brian Burke and what he does in hockey and what he does with teams or how he behaves in media or what he says, there is one thing that is indisputable about Brian Burke. He is one of the most charitable people this industry has ever seen. I don't know that I've ever seen Reed someone go out of their own pocket more than Brian Burke. All of his spare time is charitable initiatives. Uh, whenever he asks me, I always, I always say yes. I've hosted a number of events for him, supported a number of things that he's done. He spends pretty much his entire day either working or doing charity work. Like the, the stuff that he does on behalf of other people to me is remarkable. But not just that, it's going into his pocket. And I've just been around the shop and someone will talk to him about some charity they're involved in. And he'll say, I'll write you a check right now. How much? Like, with, like, it's like, if you're involved in it, I'm writing a check. How much? How much do you need? That's just the way the guy is wired. Like, yeah. there, there is not like, there is not much selfishness at all with Brian Burke. That's a guy that thinks about other people first. That, that part However you feel about him in hockey is fine. But as far as charity, that part is indisputable. Yeah, absolutely. Great story, Jeff. Thanks for sh uh, sharing that. It's going to be fun to watch Brian and Ron Hextall work there with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Two flyers. Two flyers, yeah. let's point out. <laughs> like Ed Snyder's rolling over right now. Two flyers. <laughs> Rookie play with the Maine Mariners, the Flyers farm team. And, of course, we all know about Ron Hextall. Two flyers running the Pittsburgh Penguins. Reed, can you imagine? Oh, Rob Brown could barely form words when he found <laughs> out. You know, he's just like, he's like, I'm done. The, I'm not an alum anymore. I'm a, he said, I'm a heart. Whaler alum now that's where he's going <laughs> going to all the whalers reunions although you know what like it didn't it didn't end well with ron hextall and the philadelphia flyers like and you look at the flyers now and this is no slight on chuck fletcher whatsoever i'm sure he'd say the same thing a lot of that is ron hextall a lot of that is ron hextall's team whether it's the goaltender, whether it's the blue line, specifically Provorov, or Brandon Wheatking, where, where Hextall played uh, as a junior. Some of those forwards up front, a lot of the kids, that's Hextall's. That's a lot of his fingerprints right there. And the way that it ended between the Flyers and Hextall wasn't pretty. And you can be sure that the Penguins have a very motivated GM uh, that doesn't just have winning the Stanley Cup in mind. This guy would like nothing more than to to win that battle, the Keystone State. This is going to be a fun one. This is going to be a good one. Jeff, I, know I want to ask you about another fun thing, your sure. backyard rink and getting Ron McClain on the backyard rink with your kids. <laughs> wow, that was awesome video the other night. Really they, cool. 
first of all, I'm really proud of the kids. Uh, listen, you know the ages, right? Like my kids are 11 and 9, and talking on the microphone in front of a camera can be pretty intimidating uh, for anybody, uh, let alone let alone kids. But uh, I was really proud at how they were able to come out of their shells and talk. I mean, Ron's great at, at coaxing that out of people. Um, so I, I shouldn't be surprised, but that all came together very last minute. They were, you know, hockey day in Canada Saturday, and they were looking for a rink for Ron to be on, uh, to help promote it. The problem is all around, you know, Toronto, Mississauga, Scarborough, up north, like rinks are all closed. So they couldn't find uh, a, a rink for Ron to be on. So Joel Darling, who's the executive producer of, uh, of hockey day, just called me up like a week and a half ago and said, ah, we're kind of stuck for a rink. Uh, do you mind if Ron comes up to your place and uses it? I'm like, yeah, sure. Of course, no problem. And he said, well, it might be kind of good look too. If you know, your kids are skating in the background, passing the buck around. I had no idea that Ron was gonna like interview them and talk to them and do the full bios and the whole deal. But, uh, it was a, uh, for me and my wife, Claire, that was one of our, one of our prouder moments and Reed, I can honestly say, and I've done, you know, a, a lot of things in broadcasting since I started over 20 years ago. That was my favorite day of broadcasting to be able to be on a show with my kids at the same time. Nothing, oh, that's for me. Awesome. nothing, nothing for me. It was a good thing that when Ron threw back to me that first time we had to go to break right away. Cause if I had to talk after that read, I'm not going to lie to you. It would have been pretty hard for me. Oh, what a cool moment. That is, that is so cool. And that's a nice looking rink. How long have you had that? How much work do you put into it? So we moved up to, we were in Stouffville, a little bit North of the city. So when we first moved up here, we had the space and I always said like, man, if we ever have the space, I'm doing a rink. Uh, but the kids were really young then. So it was just, I would just do it with, you know, two by fours, like really basic stuff. And then over the years, as the kids have grown and gotten better, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's taken on a whole new life. And now they want boards and glass and benches, like the whole deal. They want like a full arena in the backyard essentially but I've uh, I've done that one I sort of reconfigure it every year based on the sort of lay of the land and how big the kids are I guess I've been doing that one like that version of the rink for about six years now it's uh that's about a 54 by 40 so it's a decent size for them to do uh two on two games so that's what they do so small area game just up and down up and down up and down up and down and I'll tell you Reed and anyone that has an ODR knows exactly what I'm talking about they make the best babysitters <laughs> after school. All right, boys, get out there, get out there and skate and they'll come in for some dinner and right back out there. It is the cheapest and best babysitter anyone could invest in. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Jeff Merrick joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Uh, great tale there about the ODR, Brian Burke, Ron McLean. We should talk a little bit about the uh, current NHL. Sure. The Oilers, uh, the Oilers are looking better beating a Montreal team that was looking really good early, now not so good lately. Uh, a few storylines for the Oilers, for, for me, but I'll kind of tee you up for what, sure. what has stood out for you over the last three or four games. Uh, the fact that, you know, they can get it done without Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, I think, is the big story. Can they do that over a stretch of games? Uh, probably not. Uh, will they have to? Probably not again. The story of the Oilers is still Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. You know, Connor McDavid's still the best player uh, in the game. No one possesses what he has. Uh, and Leon Dreisaitl, one of the more unique players in the game as well uh, at the elite level. Uh, to me, it's it's still the story of those two players, but it is comforting if you're an Oilers fan or someone on that team to know that it hasn't been every single game. 
And now you're starting to see more contributions, Jujarkara scores, right? And starts to put together a sort of eyebrow raising couple of performances. So it's not just those two players because I mean, Reed, I mean, you're closer to it than I am. You're right there. How many times have you watched an Oilers game or been at that arena and you can almost tell everybody up and down the bench are saying to themselves, we're just going to go out there and play 50-50 hockey and then eventually Connor's going to do something and we're going to get the win. You know, that like looking to Connor, looking to Connor, looking to Connor. I know it's a, a bad trait or a bad habit to rely on one player to do everything, but if you're gonna then Connor McDavid's probably your guy. The fact that they haven't just had to rely on him for the past couple of games is is certainly a a, a pretty big storyline and pretty big story there. Yeah, I, I agree. And keeping the goals against down too is, is nice, and hopefully that can continue. Hey, man, uh, I, I always love talking to you. I, I appreciate you fitting me in today because I know you're a busy guy and you guys got Hockey Day coming up tomorrow, so that's going to be fun to follow. Thank you so much for doing this, Jeff. Uh, and, hey, I, I assume you're going to be out on the rink at some point today, so have fun. Uh, as soon as we're wrapped up here, I'm flooding, and then we're skating. And uh, listen, Reed, thank you so much for letting me talk about my kids. It's uh, As a hockey dad, that means a lot to me. Thanks, pal. Yeah, for sure, Jeff. That's Jeff Merrick. Always love chatting with him from the NHL on Sportsnet and the 31 Thoughts podcast. Really good Brian Burke story, too. Burke, was uh, all in once he was his teammate. Everything was buried, all the hatchets. Well, we're winding her down. Uh, final show before Thanksgiving, so we'll have a very special thanks or Thanksgiving. Where, what? Where am I, Kellen? I'm in a time warp again. It's the final <laughs> show not be. before Valentine's. There you go. It's the final show before Valentine's Day, so we'll have our very special Valentine's song coming back, and then a Valentine's edition of Name the Animal. Thanks to the Simpsons. Greatest Valentine's song of all time. The Monster Mash. I choo choo choose you. It's got a picture of a train. All right. That's certainly a highlight. Reed Wilkins with you. Kellen Kennedy back at the 630 Chet Broadcasting Compound. Hello. So we're going to do a little thing we call Name the Animal, where Kellen plays an animal sound or has the animal live in studio with him, and I try to guess what it is. I know it's a complicated concept. I, I, I don't have a lot of time to explain it, so I hope that was enough. Basically, Kellen animal sound. I try to figure out what it is. Kevin has already texted in a guess on the text line without even hearing the sound. So good for you, Kevin, trying to get the jump on that as, as it is the Valentine's edition of Name the Animal. Okay, so, uh, yeah. and look, if, if you text in to try to help me, I appreciate it. But again, you cannot win anything. There is no canned ham on the line. You don't win that animal itself. You just get the 
credit. You just feel good for helping me if that's the type of thing you're into. Uh, okay, I, Kellen, do you have an animal noise ready to go? I do. I'm kind of curious to what Kevin has texted in, though. We haven't even played the sound well, yet. Well, he might be right. Kevin's pretty smart. Okay. All right. So, all right, everybody playing at home, here is the animal sound for a special Valentine's Day weekend-ish edition of Name That Animal. Well, those are obviously birds, correct? They are, yeah. Uh, okay, I'll go with I'll go with what Kevin said. He said doves. No. He said lovebirds. No. <laughs> so it's a whole bunch of the same type of bird. It is. It's a whole flock of the same bird. Is it seagulls? No. Is, are, are they larger or smaller than a seagull? Oh, way larger than a seagull. <laughs> Richards thinks it's a 1910 Oldsmobile. Is, are they geese? No, they are not. Heather guessed geese. Uh, so they'd be way larger than geese then, if oh, they're yeah. way larger than seagulls. What's like, uh, flamingos? No. Smaller than a flamingo. Uh, ostrich? Smaller, ostrich? Than those, smaller than those birds. Think smaller. Uh, the penguins? That's it. There you go. They oh. are Jeremy. Jeremy texted in penguins. That's it. Okay, well, I, okay, that's awesome. Jeremy, thank you very much. King penguins. So these penguins. Yeah, all right. These... So somebody wrote in emperor penguins. So, all right, well, that's yeah. good. These okay, well, I did be... not get that one. So, th these would be the ones from Batman Returns with the weaponry and all sorts on their backs that are march marching for the, the city. Yeah, I was, I was upset they didn't have more dialogue in that film. <laughs> all right, so it's who, who helped me first? Jeremy helped me first. Jeremy, uh, you get my thanks. Maybe, maybe we'll try to get you a canned ham when we can go out and deliver it. Uh, Kevin says, I've watched Happy Feet. That's not how they sound. <laughs> What was the movie that uh, Morgan Freeman voiced, the documentary? Was it March of the Penguins? March of the Penguins, yes. I, I don't think I've ever seen that, but I'm pretty sure Freeman did the uh, voiceover. All right, well, that was, that, as always, that was exciting. I mean, if that's not what you're craving on a Friday night, then I, I don't know what you're into. Hope you have a great long weekend. I'll be back on the air 5.30 on Monday with the face-off show. Oilers and Jets at 7. Bob Stoffer will have a live edition of Oilers now from noon to 2. You heard from Matt Callio and Jeff Merrick tonight. Thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of the show. Kellen Kennedy, your studio producer, back at 6.30. Chet. My name's Reed. Have a great weekend. Tomorrow I'll just keep moving on. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.